Thank you very much for that welcome. It's fantastic to be here. My wife and I had the joy of living in Joburg those years ago for about eight or nine months um, when God first first got going and then the advanced thing came after that. And um, I'm part of a family of churches uh, called New Ground. We're one of the wider families. It's a kind of fellowship of families of churches of which advance is one. So I have a lot of uh, friendships with advance. I've just been in the conference in Cape Town. A lot of advanced leaders were there as well. And it's just wonderful to be able to be here with you this afternoon um, and to fellowship with you as well, which is absolutely wonderful. I bring greetings from your brothers and sisters in the United Kingdom. Um, We're going through a few exciting things at the moment as a nation. Uh, Someone said to me six months ago, can you please explain to me what Brexit is all about and can you tell me what's happening? I said, well, if you meet me in six months from now, I won't be able to tell you anything different to what I know now, which is actually, actually the case. So we're in a kind of very strange flux, but God is good and doing amazing things in our country. It's not all bad news. Churches are being planted Uh, The kingdom of God is advancing, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful joy to be in a nation. You know, the Bible says there will come a day when everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And the only thing that will not be shaken is the kingdom of God, which you and I, wherever we are in the world, is a part of. And isn't that amazing? You know, people are looking to put their feet on something, and everywhere they go, it shakes. But the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. It's a firm foundation. It's a rock on which to build your life. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, which is what we are a part of, which is wonderful. I really want to share with you something that I've been living with in expectation for this meeting this afternoon. So if you have your Bibles with you, the words might come on the screen. I'd like you to turn to Isaiah 61. And if you track the contributions that came earlier, you might conclude that God is trying to speak to us this afternoon. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. I believe that this passage of scripture is a key passage for many of you here today and your future. I believe this passage is key for the local church that you're a part of here in Joburg. I believe this passage is somehow key to the future of you as churches together in this great city. It's key for your personal local church and citywide aspirations, dreams, hopes, even frustrations and disappointments. 
because your future is dependent not upon your leaders. Say amen. Your future is not dependent on your plans and your programs. Actually, your future is not even dependent upon advance as a movement of churches and with all the resources that it may have. Your future is dependent upon the promise of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, well known to many of you, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It is the anointing of the Holy Spirit that makes all the difference. And if you know your Bibles, you'll know that when Jesus began his ministry, you can read about it in Luke chapter 4, he was handed this scripture. He stood in the synagogue on a Saturday morning and he read out this scripture. The first two verses of Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, Jesus read out and then he the Bible says he he kind of turned over the scroll and he said to everybody, and today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Which was an amazing thing to say. Jesus was saying, Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 is all about me. I am the anointed servant upon whom the Holy Spirit has anointed to advance the kingdom of God. As you may imagine, there was a mixed reaction that morning to the, in the congregation to what was being said. Can I just make two really quick, important points about this? The first is this. Having said this is fulfilled in your hearing, he then went and did it. So from that very moment, good news was preached to the poor. The brokenhearted were healed. The sick were healed. Those with blind eyes were opened. He went and did the miraculous. The spirit of the Lord was upon him so that he went and did these things. You know, if he hadn't gone and done any of those things, people would have said, well, he obviously wasn't about him. But from this very moment onwards, the spirit was upon Jesus. He began to do the things that were there in Isaiah 61. So it really does mean that this is about Jesus and the anointing that's upon him. The second thing just to note, note, and I hope this isn't too controversial for some of you because it's really important, is that Jesus needed the anointing of the Spirit in order to do these things. Before this time, there was no ministry that Jesus performed until now, until He was anointed. So, at his baptism, which was just a few days beforehand, in Luke chapter 3, verse 22, you read, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. The voice came from heaven saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Other texts say that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord came upon him and descended upon him and remained with him. And then straight after that, it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, it keeps mentioning the Holy Spirit with Jesus, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, where he was baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Luke 4, verse 14, 
And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Say the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit. To Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country. So here we have the Son of God. Fully God and fully man choosing to depend upon the Holy Spirit to do what God had called him to do. Isn't that amazing? You know, in another text, Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. What we're seeing here is this interdependence of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit together. Jesus healed sick people, and he delivered people from evil spirits and even raised the dead, not in his own power and authority, but through a dependency upon the Holy Spirit. This is really good news for you and me. Do you know why? Because when the same Spirit comes upon us, we can get to do the same things that Jesus did. And if you track what happens in the New Testament, you find that it's exactly what happened. What he did, we can do. I think I kind of grew up thinking, well, Jesus was cheating because he was the Son of God, so of course he could heal the sick. And it kind of, that's why I can't do it. But Jesus chose to model to us a dependency upon the Holy Spirit. And so then Jesus says to his disciples, and you can read it there in John chapter 16 and verse 17, far better for me to go to be with the Father. Your translation might have something like, and Jesus said to them, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And I can imagine the disciples saying, he's talking about going. He's talking about leaving us. And Jesus says, it's far better for you if I leave. And I can imagine the disciples couldn't think of anything worse than Jesus leaving them right now. They thought we were on to take the kingdom, to throw down the Romans. Every morning morning they woke up, it's miracles and signs and wonders. And we want to be as close to Jesus as possible. The teaching is brilliant. Everything's fantastic. And now he's talking about going. He said something about someone else coming. But we don't want someone else to come. We want him. We want to stay with you forever, Jesus. We don't want you to talk about leaving us. How can it be to our advantage? What they didn't understand was this. That Jesus would die on the cross. He would then be raised from the dead. He would then ascend on high and sit down at the right hand of the Father. And then the same spirit that was upon him on the day of Pentecost would be poured out upon those early disciples. And the prophetic word was, and from now upon all flesh. And to your children and your children and your children's children and to all who are far off. And Johannesburg is quite a long way away from Jerusalem. And the promise was 
that the spirit upon me in bodily form, says Jesus, would no more be confined to this bodily form, but the same spirit will come upon all of you. It absolutely was to your advantage. It was like Jesus coming to you. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you and the spirit upon me will now be upon you. And I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you and I'll be with you forever. And when my spirit comes upon you, he will remain with you. You'll be filled with him. And am I in Africa? You're supposed to be a bit excited about some of these things, surely. I, I just, I thought I was back in London just for a moment there. This is fantastic news. So just stay with me. This is important. Let's go back to Isaiah 61 verse 1. We can therefore say the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us. 2,000 plus years later. The same spirit that anointed Jesus is now upon his church. And the Holy Spirit has anointed me, you, us, to do certain things. To do the same things that Jesus did when he was off on earth. This is about proclaiming good news to the poor, healing the brokenhearted, setting the captive free, open the prison doors, going in the power and the name of Jesus, seeing signs and wonders performed not for their own sake, but that they might be pointing to Jesus as the Son of God. Some of you right now are probably in a position of disqualifying yourself. I want you to understand it's not about you, it's about him. It's not even how well you're doing at the moment as a Christian. It's still about him. The anointing doesn't come and go depending on how well you're doing at the moment. It's not about you. Some of us are are, are thinking this afternoon maybe, well, um, I've just got such a lack of faith, I can't possibly do these things. No, you're right, you can't. Some of us are thinking, if you knew my life right now, you wouldn't be even expecting me to be in a position where I would actually go to broken-hearted people and heal them. But you see, it's not about you. Some of us are maybe thinking, I've got enough problems and issues of my own right now, let alone trying to help somebody else. We start to disqualify ourselves. You know, we've got to remember that we are ordinary people. There's nothing extraordinary about us. You will never heal anybody. Only Jesus heals people. But that's what makes the difference. It's Jesus in you and me. The Bible talks about you and I being jars of clay. Jars of clay are not extraordinary. They're fragile. They're weak. That's what you are. Vulnerable, but God has put treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power of God. It's not you that's attractive, I'm very sorry to tell you this, but the treasure in you that's really attractive. It's not you that does this stuff, or you being busy and rushing around that does it, it's the anointing of the Spirit upon you, it's Jesus in you. That is attractive and makes all the difference. Where people who are half formed, we're work in progress, we're up and down. 
And that's just the leaders that I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not. I mean, you just can't get much lower than that. Things that are not. To bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being being might boast in the presence of God. We are weak. We're up and down. We're changeable. We're a work in progress. Paul says, when I'm weak, then I am strong. It's not about me. It's about the anointing. It's about the person of the Holy Spirit. And it's a strange thing. You may not feel very spiritual. You may not be doing very well right now. You may not even feel you're in touch with God. But if you step out in faith, the Holy Spirit can anoint you. To do amazing things. And you might feel I'm doing really great at the moment. Thank you very much. I'm really amazed. I've got loads of faith. I can. You still then need the same anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now we do want to change, don't we? The Bible says in Romans 8 we are being, we are being conformed to the image of God's Son. So in our weakness, it's not just, well, I can't help it. It's all about the Spirit. No, at the same time, the Spirit is helping to change us. I mean, how many think you would like to change? Put your hand up if you think you'd like to change. How many of you think the person next to you needs to change? <laughs> um, okay, all right, right let's settle down. There's a, a few very enthusiastic wives sitting next to their husbands. <laughs> We want to change. That's the work of the Spirit as well. You're getting the message. It's not about you, it's about Him. It's not about our efforts, it's about the anointing of the Spirit. We can all qualify. Even in our weakness and our lowest points, God can use us for His glory. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. And He has anointed us. To do what he's called. I, I find this whole thing about the Holy Spirit kind of really, really important. When you look at Acts chapter 1, which for those of you that might know, it's a story of the disciples that Jesus left behind to change the world. And they're locked away. Not a good start. They're frightened. They're insecure. Maybe a bit disunited. A rabble. Hardly look like the material to do anything. And they locked the door. Because they're so afraid. And then you turn over into Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes. And the same people. This is what I want you to see. Exactly the same people who were pretty hopeless. And unable to do anything. In Acts chapter 2. They're almost unrecognizable. And in Acts chapter 2, they're bold and courageous and they're, <clears throat> they're proclaiming the gospel and they're seeing miracles happen. And the only difference between chapter 1 and chapter 2 is a person. 
When you read those two chapters, that's the only thing you conclude, and the person is the person of the Holy Spirit. What we need today is him. What the church needs today is not more gimmicks and techo whatevers. You can see where I come from, which generation I live in. But we need the same anointing. I have the privilege of helping to plant churches in big cities across Europe. And Europe is in desperate spiritual mess. I mean, in every way. And as I travel around, I am more convinced now than I was 40 years ago that really the church in Europe needs a fresh visitation of the power of the Holy Spirit. Same as Act 1, Act 2, we need this encounter with God. How we need more of the person of the Holy Spirit who can anoint us. The Holy Spirit is described in the Bible as paraclete. That's the Greek word. And it means our helper. And it means that, um, it, 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 it means this, one who carries the load. So if I was to pick up this table on my own and, and take it over here, I would really, really struggle. But if I said to Greg, Greg, could you take the other side of the table and let's move it over there? The two of us lifting would be so easy. And that's exactly the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's your helper. He's come to carry the load. And we carry on on our own and ignore him at our peril. Can I just say this? I find lots of Christians find the Holy Spirit is like a stranger. And I've concluded that the reason the Holy Spirit is a stranger for some of us is that he is an, un- he is an occasional experience. And he isn't. He's a person to have a relationship with. To have fellowship with. The reason the Holy Spirit might be a stranger to you is because you're not walking in him, living in him, being filled with him, having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And it's a stranger because I talk to Christians and say, well, I hope one day I'll have an experience of the Spirit. How sad when you can have an experience of him today by just flowing with him and walking with him and talking with him. I, um, some of you will know what Alpha is. And uh, from time to time, I've done alpha. My wife is an alpha addict. (sighs) She she just loves it. And uh, she and I once led a table together. And the reason is because I was the worst alpha table leader ever. Because I wanted to answer everybody's questions. Because I knew the answers. And you're not supposed to do it. You just let people find their way. But on this particular occasion many years ago, I found this a very frustrating experience because alpha people searching for Jesus come to a place where they kind of believe, but they just hesitate for different things. One of the reasons they hesitate, I found on this one, is it was kind of like, if only I had your faith. If only I could be like you, then maybe I would become a Christian. And it's so frustrating when you're sitting the other side of the table, because you want to say to them, look, if you give your life to Jesus, come around the other side of the table, you'll meet someone. He's called the Holy Spirit. 
And it's not about you trying your best to be a Christian. It's about you meeting a person who lives the life of God through you if you will be dependent upon him. A friend of mine got saved at university. He was a very intellectual guy. He got saved through reading the New Testament. And he just continued to devour the New Testament over and over again. And about two months into being a Christian, he said, I've been reading what Jesus asks us to do to love one another and all these sort of things. And he said to me, it's really hard, isn't it? Trying to be a Christian, trying to keep up with Jesus. I said, no, it's not hard at all. It's impossible. You just need to get that right in the first day. But all things are possible with God. And especially when you meet this person, the Holy Spirit, who lives through you. He's non-optional, folks. Wherever you are today as a Christian, wherever your church is at, he's non-optional. I can't think of a single area of my Christian life where I don't need the Holy Spirit. Prayer. I mean, praying for 10 minutes without the Holy Spirit feels like an hour. Praying with the Holy Spirit, an hour seems like 10 minutes. It makes all the difference. You would never, people say to me, I know I'm really struggling to pray. Well, the Apostle Paul said, we don't know how to pray. But the Holy Spirit helps us with our weaknesses. If you're struggling with prayer today, it's not because of hidden, unconfessed sin. It's because you're praying in your own strength rather than the prayer rather in the strength of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, pray with the Spirit. Then there's the Bible. Have you ever tried to understand this without the Holy Spirit? Start in Leviticus. (laughs) I mean, it's just like, whoa. But if I read this and I say, Holy Spirit, I, I, I really need you to help me. Do you know the Holy Spirit's come to give revelation? To actually help you understand that you can't pray without the Spirit. You can't understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit. You can't even worship without the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? There's a difference between singing songs and worship. Anybody can sing songs. You can teach a parrot the words of a song. Jesus said, you will worship me in spirit and in truth. So I could come in this meeting and just sing the songs. Or I say, Holy Spirit... Would you help me to worship Jesus? Because I, I just can't do this. It's just not a human act. I need you. How are you getting on with witnessing to your non-Christian friends? Doesn't the Bible say something that when the Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses? You see the point? What I'm trying to get after is there's not a person in this room who's a child of God who can live the Christian life independently of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. Don't ignore him or grieve him. Let's just try a few other. I'm going to go through everything until I cover everybody in the room. What about, what about relationships within the body of Christ? I've spent most of my life with Christians. I mean, they are weird. <laughs> I read mean, all these Bible verses about love one another. 
Some of you are in small groups. Have you ever had that experience where you go and join a small group and you sit down and you look at everybody in the small group and you look around at all of them and you think, you are all really strange and odd and peculiar and weird. And what you don't realize, they're all looking at you and thinking exactly the same thing. It's like, try loving Christians without the Spirit. What does the Bible say? The fruit of the Spirit is love. You just can't do it. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to do church, to relate to one another. We need, we need the Holy Spirit in our marriages. See, the Holy Spirit isn't for Sundays. You need the Holy Spirit at work. You need the Holy Spirit in university. You need the Holy Spirit in your marriage. Trying to do what the Bible says about marriage with husband and wife is kind of, it's kind of really difficult. But then you realize the Holy Spirit wants to be involved. For husbands to really love their wives and lo- wives to love their husbands is a, an act of the Holy Spirit. Your marriage is going through a difficult time right now. Has it ever occurred to you that all the marriage counseling in the world, brilliant though it is, helpful though it is, you still need the Spirit? And then kids come along. I mean, it's hard work. Why not involve the Holy Spirit? He's your helper to carry the load. And some of you have got a lot of children. That's quite a load to carry. <laughs> so get the Holy Spirit to help you. And then children become teens. And I've battled with this all my life. Jesus said that we could even raise the dead. What is more difficult, raising teens or raising the dead? <laughs> I think the jury's still out. Just living life with all his perplexities. We long for a dependency upon the Holy Spirit. I have an American brother-in-law. His name is Art. And all my life that I've known Art, he has always been good at responding to God. He lives in the States. And as the years have gone by, he's a real great friend of mine. I've watched him respond For all kinds of things, he's usually the first person out the front. And after many years, I was in a meeting with him, and there was an appeal for people who were physically sick. And Art's the first one out. And I know there's absolutely nothing wrong with him at all. So I watch him go to the front. This is utterly ridiculous. So he gets prayed for, gets blessed. He comes back to the seat. I said, Art, you... You can't be serious. There's nothing wrong with you. Why on earth did you go forward? He said, oh, it's obvious. I went forward for general maintenance. (laughs) And I honestly didn't know what to say because it sounded so cool and obvious. Why didn't I go forward? And this is the mentality that we should have. I always find it very strange when people say, no, no, we're going to pray for people for more of the Spirit. And three people come out of a thousand. What are the rest of us doing? The Holy Spirit to anoint us. But I want you to see from this passage, we've just got a few more moments. 
that this anointing of the Holy Spirit upon us does not end in self-indulgence. It's not what we're talking about. Or nice feelings. But the Holy Spirit comes to equip us for mission. The anointing in Isaiah 61 of the Holy Spirit upon us is to anoint us to do something together. It's got a corporate application. It's not that our churches have a few charismatic gifts in our meetings. If you're like me, you probably would like a lot more. But it's not just about the few charismatic gifts. It is about something that is city-changing in transformation. An impact on all we touch. Jesus said, you'll be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a city upon a hill that cannot be hidden. A community of diversity. And if you look at the next few verses of Isaiah 61, you realize that the anointing of the Spirit upon us as individuals so that we depend upon him for everything, we need him, ends up with us as a community changing society, changing the towns and the cities in which we live. What Jesus did, anointed by the Spirit, had a huge impartation on people everywhere. And if we're his followers, anointed by the same Spirit, we'll get to do the same things. So let's very briefly look at some of them. Number one, we will bring good news to the poor. Who are the poor? There's been so many debates about who's, who's been spoken of here as the poor. I would suggest to you it means the marginalized, the forgotten. I personally think it literally means the poor, those who go without. And an anointing upon your local church by the Spirit with a heart to reach the poor will end up in good news being proclaimed for people who live in poverty or who are marginalized or who've been forgotten. Now, I don't know your local church, but I really hope that this is not an incidental addition or that there's a few enthusiasts in your church that get excited about this. It needs to be upfront and central. This good news for the poor needs to be at the heart of our churches. Do you describe your church as a church who proclaims good news to the poor? Why is it such good news? Well, folks, if you're in a hopeless situation and someone comes alongside you and speaks hope and it lifts you and you've lived all your life thinking, I'll never, ever change my situation, the gospel has the power to lift people from where they are. I personally think there are churches that I know all around the world that are growing, are churches that embrace two things. One is a heart for the poor, and the other one is diversity. And in Joburg, I don't know how you do church without both of those things. And some of you would like your church to grow more than it is. Would you like your church to grow? I think you probably do. Here's a little hint. Have a heart for the poor and have a heart for diversity. I don't, know, I don't fully understand, but somehow God's favor comes upon a church community 
that doesn't live in a bubble within the wider community. But it represents the wider community because the wider community are being saved, however diverse or however poor they might be. There's an anointing upon you to do this. I think there's an anointing upon advanced churches in Johannesburg to do this. However where you feel you're doing, and probably you would have lots of different views on this, but just imagine a family of churches together in this city who work together and resource one another so that we can be good news to the poor. Here's the second thing. We are anointed to bind up the brokenhearted. All around us, everywhere, there are people suffering emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically. What did Jesus do? He healed in every way. These signs and wonders that he performed were all part and package of the anointing of the Spirit upon him. He healed the sick. We read the Acts community did the same. You get to Acts chapter 5 and... People brought the sick out into the streets so that even if Peter's shadow passed by, and the next verse says, and all who came were healed. This is the anointing of Jesus that he promised, given to his disciples. Jesus is now in heaven, but he is doing it through ordinary people like you and me. The early disciples were no different from you and me. They're just the same. They made mistakes. Their churches were not perfect. They fell out with one another. But they did know the anointing of the Spirit. We are a healed community. Bringing healing to a broken-hearted community. Some of you here today are still broken-hearted. You know Jesus, but the process of him healing you is still going on. Anxiety. Depression. Mental health issues, despairing of life, being overwhelmed. We have a college near us. In fact, it's on the same road as the church building where the church that I'm based in in London is. And this is a drama college. Thousand students just down the road from us. And for years they have not liked us because of what we believe and what we stand for. So when... Students come to us, they've even said, don't go there. And they said, you are not allowed on our campus. You're not only not allowed to preach the gospel, but we won't even let you into the campus. Don't mix. It's called freedom of speech. But we loved them. And we kept serving them. And we kept doing good. And we kept expressing our love and mercy. And slowly, one by one, students coming to Jesus... And their lives being changed and transformed. This drama college now has a, a suicide rate of out of the thousand students that are there at the moment, 750 have actually expressed a desire to finish their lives. Now, not only are we allowed on site, but they've just appointed our student worker as their official chaplain. And... <clears throat> And it went from total rejection to please can she be the student on site. And then they said to her something really weird. They said, we, I'm sorry, but we can't build you a chapel because we don't have room. That's weird. She's real clever. She said, don't worry, Costa Coffee Shop's just next door. 
that will be my chapel. And I'll sit and talk to them all day long. They said, great, good deal. We are now seeing scores of these students coming to Jesus, broken-hearted, being healed. They're all around us. Here's the third thing. To proclaim liberty, freedom to captives. The bound set free. People with addictions, people with overriding fear. People who have backgrounds that are so messed up. The anointing brings authority to speak into whatever binds people to set them free. There is victory in the name of Jesus. I love this verse, don't you? John 8, 36, you know it so well. So if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And I've often thought about that little word, indeed. Because I think if we read, if the sun sets you free, you'll be free, we just skip over into the next verse. It's kind of like Jesus, it's like Jesus said, if the sun sets you free, you really, 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 really will be free. Because a lot of people talk about freedom. But a lot of the freedom they talk about is external. We're talking about a freedom on the inside. I, I love it when people are set free, don't you? Our churches are partnering with organizations around the world whose whole, whole life is to set slaves free from bondage, sex trafficking, literally laying down their lives to deliver people. We applaud it. Christians should be at the forefront of all that sort of thing. It's great. But you know, you can set someone free from terrible slavery and bondage, but they can still be in bondage on the inside. It's kind of like if you're in prison and you go to an alpha course in prison and you give your life to Jesus. If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. But you still go back to your prison cell. But when you're in your prison cell, you're freer than all the people walking around outside who are not in prison. Because if the sun sets you free, you're really, really, really free. Number four, to proclaim the Lord's favor. Don't forget this is talking about you and me and your church. What does it mean to proclaim the Lord's favor? It means to give grace freely you have received, freely give. We who have received grace have now the opportunity to give grace That's what it means to give the Lord's favor. There's not a lot of grace in the world, is there? Have you noticed that? The church should be absolutely pulsating with grace. Why? We didn't deserve it in the first place. We're no better than anyone else. I hope you preach a gospel which is like this. Don't wait to clean your mess up. But come to Jesus and he will clean up the mess. If we preach a gospel which is sort yourself out before you come to Jesus, that is not the gospel. And do you know what that means? It means our churches are very messy. Because we have a whole load of people who have come to Jesus, but there's a whole load of mess. We are proclaiming the Lord's favor, 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 favor. Everybody is welcome, whoever you are and whatever background. There is grace and mercy for you. 
There may be some people here today who don't yet know Jesus. When the spirit of the sovereign Lord comes into your life, all these things we're talking about can be yours. And top of the pile is that you will know the Lord's favor even today. And the vengeance of our God. I kind of feel like I could say, and the vengeance of our God. And I think a lot of Christians misunderstand this passage. Some of us think, oh, this is the good bit where we get to clobber non-Christians. The vengeance of our God. The wrath of God. The reality is this, folks. The wrath of God has already been poured out upon his son, Jesus, on the cross. And the reality is there is judgment. But judgment is coming in the last day. In the meantime, what does it mean to the vengeance of our God? I believe it means this, justice. We live in a world of terrible injustice. <clears throat> Part of our anointing is to speak to those injustice and proclaim the justice of a good and godly and right God in which there is no injustice. The church throughout the globe has not always done well on these things. We felt it's our responsibility to judge everybody, look down on people. You're not as good as we are. It's not the gospel. And to comfort all who mourn. There are people who are mourning everywhere. Incidentally, the Holy Spirit's work, another phrase of the Holy Spirit is the comforter. We can comfort people who are genuinely mourning. And then, coming to a close, we see in the next verse, verse 3, what I call the anointing brings exchange. It uses lots of words, but it kind of says beauty for ashes, joy for sorrow, praise instead of heaviness. And as the church begins to experience beauty, which is life, as, a spoke, as, a, as opposed to ashes, which speaks of death, we become a very attractive community because people who are looking for life will see this life ex just experienced by those of us. And those who are living in sorrow will find joy. Now, I don't know how we've done, it, done this as a church, but we've hidden this joy from the world for a long time. They don't know. If you go out there and say, what's the first thing that comes into your mind when I say church? How many of them are going to say, joy? Well, they might do it in Africa, but in my country, no one, we didn't even come across the, the last place they're going to find joy is in church. And yet when the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us, it says we will have joy instead of sorrow. Everyone's looking for joy. Sadly, the joy that everybody seems to be looking for is temporal. Have you noticed that? Which is why whatever gives you joy, you have to keep going back to it again and again and having more and more of it. Whereas the joy that's promised to us is eternal. It's not dependent on a thing happening, of going to a meeting and buzz and having a nice feeling. That will give you joy. Our joy is joy in circumstances we wouldn't even choose. Our joy is the sort of joy that when you're in pain at night, joy comes in the morning. Our joy is not dependent. If I can get out of these circumstances, then maybe I'll have joy. But you've got joy in Jesus all the time, in the midst even of difficult, perplexing 
circumstances. This is massively attractive for people. Just think of the most joyful moment in your life outside of Jesus. And whatever it is, I guarantee it didn't last. New Year's Eve. Fireworks. 20 past 12, we're all getting on the train, on the tube, we're all going back looking rather grumpy. What were we celebrating anyway? Well, the year that's just gone. And what are we still celebrating? The year that's yet to come. And is the year that's yet to come any better than the year that's been behind us? Probably not. It just fades away. Or a wedding. I mean, last year I was at two amazing weddings of friends of mine. And we danced and we celebrated and rejoiced in God. It was just magnificent. And then the couple left and everyone's around. This great joyful day. And then there's that moment when the hoover comes out. <laughs> the wedding's over. <laughs> the joy is going out. I, I, I'm convinced that the most joyful moment of my life was the birth of my children. After all the hard work that I put into this particular <laughs> act, I'm holding this child and my emotions are just I can't express them to you and I'm looking at this child full of joy this is the most joyful moment of my life may it last forever and then suddenly something happens this child changes this child cries in the night this child grows up and becomes a toddler my moment of joy did not last it's all temporal. The joy that the world's looking for is only found in the eternal one. We need to come to a close. Folks, this anointing is upon you. This anointing is upon your local church. This anointing is upon advanced churches in Johannesburg together. That's your future. It's not just about more leaders and more gifts. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit. And you and your local church can bring good news, every form of healing, deliverance, grace, justice, comfort, life, joy. can even lift people who are weighed down. And there's one more thing to say, and I finish with this. Look at verse 3 and 4 with me. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. Verse 4, that they will build up ancient ruins, that they will rise up, raise up former debt, that they will repair ruined cities, the devastation. Who are these people? Who are they talking about? They are talking about those who were poor, were brokenhearted, were captive. They're talking about all of us here today. They're talking about people who are so transformed and it so turns around that the best qualified people on this planet to lift the broken heart, to heal the broken heart and lift those who are in poverty are people who were once there themselves because they can identify with those people. I saw this quote recently, I thought it was amazing, talking about this passage. The destiny of the poor is not the removal of poverty 
It's to rebuild broken cities. Isn't that amazing? I think some of us think it's just about people's lives being a bit better than they were. It's about such a transformation that they go into the world and make a difference. Can we stand? Just pray. It's interesting that there was a prophetic word, did you notice, before I even turned to this passage? Saying it's all about the anointing. Let's just close our eyes. Some of you might like just to lift your hands. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come to anoint We welcome you. There are some of you who are feeling very dry right now. Some of you are feeling empty. For those of you that are dry, you know the Holy Spirit can come to you. And rivers of living water, the opposite to being dry, can start to flow again within you. And for some of you today who are feeling empty, it's all about being filled and filled. Some of you are actually half empty. You need to be filled. And for those of us, whoever we might be who feel we're doing okay, we need to be filled. I believe there are people here today, as you've heard this word, you've just forgotten all about the Holy Spirit. It's been ages since you welcomed him in and asked to be filled with him the reason that you're feeling like this is you've just forgotten you're struggling in your own strength trying to pray trying to understand things I want to say to you as we close this part of the meeting before we break bread that that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you and has anointed you And that that's not a one-off experience, it's a daily choice. Why don't you join with me this afternoon in making that choice. And saying, Lord, today I begin again to learn how to live in the power of the Spirit that's anointed me. The one you gave to me. Forgive me, Lord, that I've just struggled on on my own. How foolish I've been. I come back again. And I set my course today for the rest of my life to depend upon the anointing of the Spirit that you've given. I think there are in this room today some broken-hearted people who need the Holy Spirit to come and heal you. There are sick people here today. The anointing of the Spirit can produce healing, physical healing. Some of us are captive. Some of us are living in injustice. I think there's some sorrowful people here today, overwhelmed with life. Let the Spirit of God come to you. And as we minister to one another and pray for one another in a moment, why don't we just pray that more of the Spirit will come upon us and anoint us?